Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn. His name is Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, it's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. Of course, we hope it's going great with everybody else as well. If you, if it's not going great for you, I know a way that it could go great for you. You could sign up for focuscompound.com slash app, $7.95 a month, and you get access to our blood, sweat, and tears over the past over two years yeah. of 240 plus episodes and now frequent behind the scenes uh, videos of Jeff and myself really just talking about whatever topic uh, comes to mind. Members that do sign up can email me at focuscompounding at gmail.com and yes. we'll answer your questions directly on the video. It's a lot of fun to connect with people. And then of course you get access to Jeff's 2000 word write-ups that uh, daily article daily on the in, on an investing topic, not stock write ups. Stock write ups are at the website focuscompounding.com. dot com. Mm -hmm. The app is daily things about investing. That's right. More like this podcast. That's right. So if you want to get access to that, seven ninety five a month, such a value investment for yourself. Be sure to sign up focuscompounding.com dot com slash app. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about something that we've talked about, like the idea uh, many uh -huh. times over the years, but we've never actually like showed it um, okay. in real time. And that is, you know, we were just, you know, talk about this, how um, a lot of times the company or the stock goes nowhere. And then maybe in year eight or year nine, you just get a multiple re-rating or okay. you get a re-rating in the stock. So we're going to talk about, you know, how often, especially when it comes to value investing, because a lot of people call it, you know, dead money, nothing mm -hmm. happens. Somebody asked us on the, our Q and a last week about a net net and will it ever re-rate? And somebody mm -hmm. answered him saying, yes, it will re-rate. Don't ask me when. Right. And that gave us the idea to, you know, just show re-ratings and, you know, what they look like. And the first one that came to mind for me was actually CSVI, Computer Services Inc., mm -hmm. a company that we owned in the managed accounts. And even going back to 2010 to today, you know, the stock, it looks like was call it in the $15 area. And now it's currently trading at 57 cents and nine, uh, so I guess we could round up 58 uh, $58 uh, per share. And if you do like a 10 year CAGR on that, it's still, you know, 14% per year plus they pay a it dividend, dividend yeah. you know, but people could have been upset in, you know, let's say 2011 to 2012 to 2013 mm -hmm. is probably underperformed the market. From you know? two, that's, I mean, we can see that right there from 2012 yeah. to 20, what? 16 or something people will be pretty bored with it yeah something right. like that. so there too you know? yeah that's typical that that period had a lot of that for other stocks similar to this um but the re-rating thing are you logged into quick fs i am okay so do they have computer services because it's a dark stock so yeah so we go to key ratios i think if we go down there the mar uh the um valuation metrics one uh they have where they do sure right here okay so we can just use some like Price to sales is a good example. They ran um, price to earnings too. Yeah. Okay. So um, you can get a feel for how much it's changed over time. Um, price to sales is very, very stable for a company like this. So it, any move in price to sales is pretty much a move in, in price in, in terms of like in terms of returns. So if you have like a price to sales decline a lot, that means your future returns are going up a lot and vice versa because it's incredibly secure that way. They they often have people signed up for banks signed up for nine or years or something as their their clients. And, you know, um, there's just very little variation that way. But if you look at those, what do you see in terms of like how cheap it's been and how expensive? Uh, for the price of earnings, it's let's see, at one point it was 16 times earnings, which some people 
would consider, you know, maybe expensive. I don't know, especially back mm-hmm. in 2011. Um, but now it's at 27 times earnings. Right. So that's a major part of the re-rating and that's a huge part of your return in the stock. And it's an issue of why I don't think it'll have great returns going forward compared to where it was. Um, doesn't mean it'll do badly, but when people ask like, why would I own OTC markets and not computer services anymore? Computer services is, I think, more expensive and will grow slower. Um, let's go to, let's try FICO. FICO is a really good example of a stock that worries me. If you want to see a stock that's not going to perform well in the future, uh, but that I talk about positively all the time on this podcast, it's FICO. This always gets a lot of attention. Yeah. FICO. When I talk about FICO, because yeah. a lot of people believe that things have changed fundamentally for the company. It's a high quality company, whatever. Uh, I don't see it. I mean, not that I don't see it as being a super high quality monopoly type company, great returns, all that stuff. That's what it was 10 years ago. That's what it's been through most of its history. I mean, what's the Kager from what year does that start in? Uh, so we just did over 10 years, but let's see. We'll just use open. We'll use $22 to 439 Okay. Jeez. Nice. Yeah. 35% per yeah. year over 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, and I have, by the way, bought the stock in 2010. So you could see that I could have held the stock to today, what the returns would have been. But here's the difficulty with doing that. And let's look at the key ratios. I never would have held it that long. I've said that I regret selling FICO, but the thing is I would never have held it anywhere near as long as the last few years. And the reason for that we can see is things like EV to EBITDA and EV to sales are good ways of looking at it. So you want to just do one of those? Uh, sure. Let's I guess we could use price of sales because I don't see uh, EBITDA for okay. a year to be able to use. But price of sales has gone from 1.6 times in 2010 to 7.5 today. Yeah. So that's incredible. It's insane. And you could figure out what that means. It means that you've had an increase of like, you know, that you had basically a, a you know, quintupling basically. How fast has their revenue grown? Let's see. Very little. Um, so you can see what's their revenue growth. Wow. 6%. So that's really come from the re-rating, but the 6%, here's the thing. That's not, that's 6% off 2010, mm-hmm. right? So that's completely unrealistic. The company doesn't grow anywhere near 6%. Um, let's look at the last few years, but I mean, this has been a credit expansion for this company. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a large mar- a part of their sale, a large part of their revenue historically was from transaction based. Um, so a company wants a credit score. So Mm -hmm. I'm a bank or something and I want credit scored. When I apply that secret sauce to this thing, Mm -hmm. I pay you a small amount, uh, you know, whatever I pay you a few cents or if a dollar or whatever, when I do that, if I do that a million times in this year and I do it 1.5 million next year, I pay you more when you, when I do that, Mm -hmm. um, they have other businesses that work a little differently, but so I would say it's unrealistic how fast that revenue growth has been. Um, it is we, interesting when you talked about in the last podcast, somebody asks you, would you ever pay 10 times sales and what would that company have to look like? And you said, well, EPS has to grow a lot faster than revenue yeah. without a lot of capital that you have to put into it. And this kind of looks like one of those examples. And similar to Dun and Bradstreet and IMS Health and a couple other public companies that have been and I've owned those companies too. Moody's, which is a spinoff of Dun and Bradstreet, um, all similar. And, uh, and Fair Isaac, uh, FICO, and um, FICO just stands for Fair Isaac uh, um, Company, uh, the, uh, the, they and computer services probably started around the same time and stuff. All these companies that are in the banking thing that way, whether it's Jack Henry or uh, any of the competitors and stuff, all are about, what, 50, 60 years old now or something started then and have grown with banking and were, are much better businesses than the banks themselves. But what's the EVD EBITDA right now? EVD EBITDA is 48 times. And how high is EBITDA right now compared to their past peak in EBITDA? Let's see if we can find that. It's right 
there's a line for EBITDA under oh, what is there under um you can find just use operating income okay they have amortization but um so in 2010 operating income was 115 million what's the highest they've ever had and it, now it is 254 million which is the highest the highest so that's yeah. the peak so unfortunately you're going to either lose money in the stock or not make money for an incredibly long period of time you just cannot pay close to what 50 times ebitda when it's the highest ebitda the company has ever had um the company would have to grow phenomenally fast this is what it looked like in the early 1970s with a nifty 50 and all that stuff and like people under, don't understand why those things perform so badly for so long how is it that these great companies could do that badly FICO's the answer. This is how they can do that badly because it re-rated to way too high a valuation. Uh, um, and it had a much lower valuation not that long ago. And that's happened to other stocks too. I don't, uh, let's see where Sherwin-Williams is at right now. I'm curious about that. Over the last 20 years, it's re-rated significantly. Mm -hmm. That's like so. a little bit more than 10 years. Um, 2000, so yeah, you can see right here, right? $69. So it's up, call it 10 times. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, a lot of that is coming out of uh you know a housing crisis and stuff mm -hmm. same as fico but if we look at the um quick fs and it would be better if we had the 20 year and stuff but we're just gonna use the 10 year for this unfortunately 20 years a lot better to look on uh 10 years shorter than you think in the history of a stock sometimes uh at the re-rating of it so how is it rated in terms of things like price to sales and stuff now versus the past uh it's gone from about 1.15 times in 2010 to three times mm -hmm. in 2019 so not that crazy compared to the that other is ones. but yeah. right but compared to some of the other ones right? but that's retail that's crazy because the truth is that or brick and mortar it, it's cyclical right so it makes sense the price to sales moving that way to the extent that the business is cyclical and is recovered but in general you have to understand that if your price tr to sales triples you're paying three times more for the stock mm -hmm. now let's look at some more value things and stuff and let's start with like movado um to give people an example of this one uh, movado is the kind of thing stock that people say doesn't like it's dead money or it doesn't work out or whatever we've talked about before and so it's the kind of thing that Ben Graham would buy. So let's look at a long-term chart of that. Again, 10 years is kind of shorter than we really should be looking at, but it gives you some idea. So you see the volatility in mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. So the stock has actually peaked really in a big way, like four different times. And about four different times has dropped by a huge amount. And in each case, not for very long. If you notice, the distance between those peaks is not... Uh, all that great and the distance between the peaks and valleys is really small so if you were looking to buy it each time it was in one of those valleys there we're only talking about a period of what a couple of years mm -hmm. until it's at an all-time new high and yet there is a perception i would say when you talk to people that it is like a value trap or would be you know whatever it might be that way but this is very typical of a bang Graham stock it actually doesn't trade um flat for very long at all anytime you bought it when it got extremely cheap versus assets and stuff there was a recovery but then it collapsed again because people were reacting a lot off the earnings so you buy it on the balance sheet you sell it on the earnings and then those earnings go back down and if you can see their earnings are pretty unstable if you look at their quick fs page or look at like their return on invested capital or something like that that might be a good one to look yeah, at yeah it's kind of jumped all over the place in 2011 it was negative 17 then went to uh positive 13.7 percent then to 24 percent um been all over the place 2018 was back down to negative 5.8 percent now in 2020 we're at 10 percent right so it's been all over the but place. because it goes into double digits sometimes at those moments people then uh think that it should have a high pe or, or a decent pe and then you get that um what's the price to book right now price to book is currently 0.6 okay so if we look and price to book is heavily movado has a lot of cash but it's heavily cash and watches 
Um, so those are, that's pretty, and has some receivables too, but that's pretty solid book, a very, uh, liquid, very quick book. So let's go to the key ratios and look at like price to book over the time. I think they got priced a tangible book. I remember right down there. Um, do they, uh, we have price to book. Yep. Okay. So what has it been over the years? Uh, in 2011, it was at one times and now today we're at 0.75 and anywhere in between. Let's see. It looks like in 2013, we reached a price to book of two. There you go. And then it had 2.5. Right. But that's all you need. So it reached two. So that's three and a third or whatever times what it is now. I think you said 0.6. Yeah. 0.6. So you want a three bagger just from no earnings, no anything, just a re-rating of the stock to its previous peak that way. And the other question is how far apart are the tops and bottoms in the price to book? I don't think they're very far apart. So if you look like it goes from one to two in a matter of a few years, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Or it goes from two to one in a matter of just a few years. It doesn't, you know, so it's the idea that it's dead money or something isn't true. Uh, that certainly doesn't happen in a stock like this. It, it looks might, like they pay dividend as well. Yeah. So it, it's very solid financially company. I mean, this year's terrible for them, so we'll see. But historically, they've held a lot of cash and stuff. They've operated the opposite of Fossil. Fossil's a pretty aggressive company. Mavada's super um, conservative. Yeah, Fossil has a lot of leverage on it, right? Yeah. So, um, What about uh, a net-net that has re-rated? Uh, Mavada was a net-net in the last uh, financial crisis. Okay. So that's a good example of it, that it, it became a net-net. And it, some of these aren't that far from getting there. Um, we could look at Friedman Industries. FRD is a recent net-net. I think it's no longer net-net. Um, Tandy, they we're close to a net net on their stale financials. Mm -hmm. There we go. Friedman Industries is, can we get a 10 year chart on it? Sure. Okay. All right. So again, same sort of thing. This stock looks somewhat cheap. What's the price on it right now? $5 per share. All right. So it's not a net net anymore. As far as I know, um, it did a big announcement that it's going to buy back 15% of the company over the next few years or something, which is very unusual for net net and some things like that. It has a ton of property, um, uh, it, it's all property planning equipment. I mean, it's all tied up in steel mills and things. So it's not property that is going to have a ton of value that way. It's not, uh, some, one of their plants isn't that far from us. Um, so this was a net net. It was very interesting as a net net. And if you go to the quick FS, you can see why, um, again, it has the severe re-rating. So the beginning of security analysis, Graham has a quote there from the Roman poet Horace, which is, um, it basically says that many that are in, um, honor will be fallen and many that have fallen will, you know, return to honor. And he, by saying that he means stocks, the fads of what people are a positive on and negative on, and sometimes without a lot of reasoning for it. Um, Movado is a good example of that right now. People would say it's about I mean, this year it's about COVID and no sales and department stores and all that. But people would say it's about um, things like Apple Watch and stuff, right? But if we actually looked at the chart, they weren't cheap when Apple released the watch. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. They've mm -hmm. been cheap at other times since then. It's been years and years. Sure. Uh, similar things when I was looking at a publishing company recently. And everyone told me the reason is ebooks. Here's the problem with that argument ebooks have been in decline versus printed books for the last five years. They've been consistently declining. They peaked like five years ago. They had a peak, rise about eight years and then they've sold off for the last five years or something. It's similar to like hybrid cars in the US. Same deal. Huge growth for a while. Then they peaked pretty fast and started going down. Now, in that case, electric cars have picked up a lot. But with e-readers and things, that can't be the explanation. 
because every year there's been more printed books. So, the, so, but that's what people believe in that case. And it's affected the pricing of that stock. Mm-hmm. Now there's legitimate reasons for why the pricing of that stock is the way it is because the performance has been a certain way, but the story that people tell around it can be odd. And in that case it is because you can't have had five hard years in publishing because of eBooks, because eBooks have been declining versus printed books for the last five years. Sure. So, um, similar thing here where you have a company that it's, it's, um, returns vary a lot more, right? Because they're cyclical or something. So Friedman Industries has this thing where it's um, involved with steel, with taking steel and repurposing it from customer plants that are nearby and stuff. So it's very um, highly tied to, if we look at the gross margins, they should be thin and bouncing around sometimes. And so their gross profit sometimes is very large and sometimes is very small. Let's go just through gross profit and just see how unstable it is. Yeah. In 2011, it was 13%, then 11%, then 10.6%, then 6%, then 4.7, and then right. all the way down to negative. But 1. more 1. importantly 8. than that, let's do the actual millions in gross margin and gross profit. Sure. Because yeah. their sales actually changes a lot. So cyclically, you don't want to just focus on margin. You want to focus on gross profit. And this is actually a big advice thing I give to people all the time. I'm when I'm talking with someone, the thing that surprises me is they don't know what a company's gross profit in millions was. Mm-hmm. They know what its sales were. They know what its EBIT was. They don't know the gross profit. And actually, especially with cyclical companies, the gross profit is a very, very important number because sales themselves differ by a huge amount. And then also the margin on it differs too. So gross profit, like peak years of gross profit are probably very good years for the company and in their market and down years are pretty bad. So let's go through gross profit. Yeah. 2011, it was 17 million, 2012, 18 million, and then it started to fall 14 million, 7 million, 5 million, 5 million, zero in 2017, then back to 10 million in 2018. And then 2019, it was 13 million. And then 2020, it was 3 million. Okay. So that gives you all over the place. Right. It gives you an idea. And like with what you're saying, it's like starts to fall and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe, but then last time when it was 13, it went right from 13 to three. Right. And you don't know at what point it'll get down and then what will come up from there. Um, There is clearly some cyclicality to it that you can see in there, but people think that they can understand the cycle better than maybe they necessarily can. The company has been profitable. I mean, I, I, it's paid a dividend or something for like 40 or more years, it, but it operates right on the edge of it might lose money or it might make money. Mm-hmm. So when it was a net net, it was very interesting that way. It's recovered a bit from being a net net, if I remember right. Um, but that's typical. Let's look at the stock. Uh, let's look at the key ratios, for example. So PE wouldn't matter here. And even price to sales is too bumpy. With a company like this, price to book is the only one that makes sense. Sure. So in 2011, it was 1.18 times. Uh, it's bounced all over the place. We're currently at 40.47 times. There we go. Mm-hmm. So again, which is actually is, the lowest in its history. And that this shows, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In the past 10 years. Right. And that's interesting from that perspective. And, um, I happen to know that they invested a bunch not that long ago. If we look at CapEx and stuff, they actually invest a bunch and plan to invest more in their um, center CapEx. So where do we have, does that give us the numbers for PP&E? Yeah, in 2015, they invested $6 million, but last year, 2020, they invested $5 million. And they announced as part of their plans that they're going to do a big thing in CapEx. You know, So the other thing to look at is their balance sheet, like inventories and stuff like that. So what does it consist of? So do we have high or low inventory levels? So let's look at just inventory, what it's been. Um, uh, 2010, it was 20 million. 2020, it was 36 million. The year before in 2019, it was 49 million. Okay, this is the other thing. You can look at inventory and this is... um, So a lot of people look at things like free cash flow and stuff. But at a business like this that's cyclical and ties things up, 
it's the inventory will roll off at some point. So if they build up a lot of inventory and then the stock gets cheap versus book, you're actually going to have nice free cash flow eventually as the um, inventory gets liquidated. Because this isn't a company that's like growing to the moon or something where something could be going wrong with them building their inventory up that way. It's just a cyclical thing. So it's a question of picking what moment you're buying into it. Um, if we look at the chart, the stock chart, I think that that might help explain how big the moves have been so let's look at the peaks there's kind of there's several peaks but there's two really so what are we looking at here um Looks 10 like, years yeah well this is a max so we're going back to 1993 okay 1993 all right mm -hmm. but yeah it looks like there's i mean in 2000 looks like four we had a peak and then 2007 we had a peak and then 2011, 2012. So it's really almost every cyclical. seven years or yeah. something. You've had like a almost mania looking peak mm -hmm. in it in terms of what it would normally be trading. It at, happens so. very quickly and then it declines very quickly. Right. And you know why? If we checked, it's probably because it's the years in which the steel that they're selling is tight. The supply is tight. Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot, not on this podcast, but about micron te technology. Mm -hmm. And um, that's one that's always fascinating to me because it makes all of its money in a tight situation. It's a pure commodity type thing, really. And it's very, some value investors like it a lot are very excited about it. But in a very large number of years, historically, it's had trouble earning decent returns on invested capital. And obviously, this is an even more extreme example of that. This is a company that, you know, is like Berkshire and, and textiles and stuff. This is something that five, six years out of um, seven is earning barely anything. And then it makes a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. So let's look at the last 10 years and see where what was its best year in terms of like earnings per share. Go back to key ratios on QuickFS. If you do sign up, tell me it came from Focus Compounding. Uh, you could just do overview. Let's see. Okay. Earnings per share. Looks like the best year they had was actually in 2011 of a dollar 20. Okay, but what's the stock price now? $5. Right. And what was the low in the stock price? We'll go back to the chart to see it, but it was lower than today in 2011. So just we'll do one year. It was pretty low this year. The bottom was right there. So what's the bottom? Like right at $4, $3.90, it looks like. <laughs> All right. So yeah. it's trading at three or four times what it earned not that long ago. Mm -hmm. It's a cyclical company. One day it'll probably earn it. So that's just telling you that stocks generally as a rule don't trade at like four times or something. It can mm -hmm. happen yeah. cyclically. But like that's one of the things I mentioned before. Let's do, um, uh, let's go to Tandy because we've talked about Tandy before and I'll just um, use that as an example. This is a stock that has re-rated significantly on like a one-time basis type thing. So if we look, you could do 10-year yeah. So if you look, it got cheap once before in the financial crisis, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. But other than that, what's happened is mainly a one-time thing. So this is the kind of thing where people become very concerned about the stock because where does it peak? Last peaked in what year? 2013. Yeah. And then it's been headed down for like seven years mm -hmm. on a pretty steady trajectory. There have been some increases, but pretty steady. But if we look at the rating in terms of quick FS, we might be able to see how much it's changed in terms of like price ratios. So if we go to key ratios you might see how much has changed in terms of some key things. Key things being stuff like um, QuickFS doesn't have it, but price to gross profit or EB to gross profit. So you can see that it's declined a lot in price while gross profit hasn't. We can just use sales because gross profit is pretty stable for Tandy. Mm -hmm. um, price to sales in 2009 was 0.73 and today it's 0.62. 
what was it at the peak in 2013? It looks like 1.27 times. So what happened there is that it increased a lot, the price to sales. Yeah. When sales were growing steadily, same store sales, then it hit that level and then it came down. Mm -hmm. Another one that's interesting that when I mentioned this in a write-up, that's really baffling to me. Uh, You just ate there, Chipotle. Chipotle is the most baffling stock around to me because it's had very poor business performance for a while while its stock has Mm -hmm. performed very well. So Chipotle is interesting because it hit a very hard patch. If you go back, what year was it that they hit that where their ROI dropped in half, basically? Um, When was that? It looks like 2016. Okay. 27 in 2015 and then 2016 it was 1.4 with the whole... Uh, right. Equalized. And it has yep. not remotely recovered from there. So it gets a little better Stock every price year. Sure has. And, but <laughs> here's the thing. What's gross profit? What was gross profit back then? It Go, was gross profit 1. by 1. year. 1.1 billion. At, okay. What do you want me to do? Here's the thing. More than anything else, the progress of a company can be tracked best, I'd say. Like there's different measures of it, but just gross profit every year, how many millions it mm-hmm. is. So if we look, where was their past peak in gross profit? It looks like it was 2015 at 1.17 billion. Right. And what is it now? 1.14 billion. Right. So it's the same. Mm-hmm. So they've gotten back to their past gross profit peak, which isn't even operating peak or something. It's gross profit. But then there's been tax cuts and whatever. But what's interesting about that, of course, is the amount of capital that they're tying up that way. So if we look at the balance sheet, how has that changed in the last five years? Let's just look at total assets, for instance, uh, unless they restated because of the leases. Yeah, I was going to say, could that be kind of messy because of the lease? Um, total current assets in 2000, uh, this current one on here is about a billion. We could use equity because it won't be affected by um, the lease. It'll be on both sides. So 1.6 billion today. Yeah. Uh, but, but in 2014 to 2015, it was call it one or call it 2 billion. Okay. So, all right. So that's a problem because they're increasing their capital. So let's see. Um, how about PP&E? How's that changed in five years? Let's see. In 2015, it was 1.2 billion, and today it's about four billion. Okay. So anyway, if we look, we, we, it'd be easier to get the numbers off of the number of stores and stuff. But the point is that there's a huge decrease in the gross profit relative to the amount of assets they're tying up. And there's a huge decrease in gross profit per store, gross profit per square foot, whatever. It's become substantially less um, uh, efficient that way, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that it's grown. And that's why I think the stock has a lot of appeal. And I said that there is that they keep opening new stores over that period, yeah. which means you have growth, but it's significantly deteriorating growth throughout that period. The stock has gone nowhere. I mean, so we had that decline and then just been a rocket. It's kind of the easiest one to say will not perform well. We did FICO and I don't know, this one might rival (laughs) FICO in terms of insanity of the stock. If you look at quick FS, you can see it. We'll look at the valuation metrics of a stock that will disappoint in the next decade or whatever. Um, Sure. We could, you want to look at Chipotle? Yeah. Look at, they've had price of sales in No, no, just the overview. Just what the price is today. Yeah, Yeah, because that's the thing that is crazy. Okay. Well, we got a PE of skewed. But you could do EVD. EVD, but 38 times. Right. So that's too big for a company this size. What do you think like Ackman and Pershing Square, when they look at this, like how do they think that's cheap? What are they looking at? I don't know. I don't know what they're looking at. I mean, it could create value over time, but it can create a lot less value. Here's the thing. Andrew and I just went on a trip. The problem is that I would say we're back in civilization when we see a sign for Starbucks and Chipotle. Chipotle is practically where Starbucks is now. Everywhere. It's just so saturated. I mean, we're running into Chipotles in places that are very, very... 
just micropolitan, the major city in a very rural place has a Chipotle. So it's just that there can't be that much value generation again from that. And like most companies like Walmart and stuff, we've seen a huge drop in Chipotle's returns on capital and stuff, which is typical. So when companies start out and stuff, Walmart or whatever is getting 30 and 40% returns on capital. And then by the time it reaches its mature state, it's 15 and 20% and the new stores is opening are much lower. Same thing with Chipotle. So the interesting thing about it though, is the very high price. So the very high price makes a ton of sense in the early years. 40 times EBITDA makes a ton of sense in the very early years. It doesn't make any sense in the later years. And that's the part that's kind of the problem is like, what's the market cap on this thing? Um, let's see, 32.7 billion. Right. Now the revenue is not insanely high. So what's revenue this past year? 5.5 billion. Right. Uh, that's not a, a incredibly high. Um, it would suggest that they still have plenty of room to grow and all that kind of thing. But the EVD EBITDA is a very big problem mm -hmm. um, where it's just so high because a normal EVD EBITDA would be well under half of that, mm -hmm. well under. So you're talking about a contraction at some point of half. Mm -hmm. And that's really meaningful if you think you're going to get good growth between now and then. Um, you've had very little growth uh, that is driven by much else other than opening new things. I mean, it's had good revenue growth, right? The last few years coming out of a very low bottom. But remember, what's the 10 year growth on uh, revenue? Yeah. 13.9%. Right. So that's really incredibly low. That asset, though, is also growing 18% 10 year Kager and assets. Well, that's their business model. Yeah, because mm -hmm. of how that works. They, I mean, you can tell because it has to. So just for people to understand the math, if you're pretty much it's almost certain that if your return on invested capital is dropped as much as theirs has, you have to be growing assets faster than revenue. So that's a problem versus like FICO, which can have no asset mm -hmm. growth and have the revenue growth that's really high. So uh, this is one I would put in the category of FICO. Although you might like the business a lot and it is a great business. The business model of Chipotle is great. The business model of FICO is great. The prices that we're talking about here are hitting those levels that are like the 1970s mm -hmm. and the 1990s, late 1990s, and some big cap stocks and things. These are already leaders in their fields, and they're priced so high that they're very likely to disappoint you. And they might disappoint you by dropping 50 to 90% in one year. They might disappoint you by having single digit type returns for 10 or 15 years it, both things have happened before in the past with companies but this is the kind of problem because if you look right so there's chipotle and all that that we had um but let's look at you know when stocks we talk about over-the-counter markets right so what was the evd but on chipotle uh evd ebitda is 38 times 38 times so what's it on otc markets 17 times okay what's the revenue growth here 10 percent Okay, asset growth. 14%. It's actually the same, but that's yeah. cash. Yeah. Free cash flow, 16%, <laughs> EPS, 15%. So or we could look at returns on invested capital. Um, it's infinite. Mm -hmm. And it's generally gotten a bit better over time instead of a bit worse like Chipotle. So, and then you just have, you know, again, a leader overall in this field or business, whatever. Yeah, characteristics are different too. Yeah. Look at that gross margin. Yeah. So I just think that that is the kind of thing that like FICO or something would make more sense or computer services would make more sense if it was very um, small, mm -hmm. right? And growing fast that you could pay a high multiple for it. You can pay a high multiple for things like Chipotle and, and FICO and everything. That's that's fine. But those multiples are too high that we're talking about. When you're getting into what is the range we're talking about? 40 to 50 times EBITDA? Yeah. 40 to 50 times EBITDA is pretty crazy. 
So it's very hard to ever justify that. And it's impossible when you're already like the leader in your field that way. Um, so I think that's a, a symptom of things that have happened recently and is a re-rating issue. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that people could love the stock a lot and value it 50% less. Like it'll yeah. be a beloved stock that's at 20 times EBITDA. So your losses could be over 50% just from re-rating people's sentiments. And that's what Graham was talking about. The same thing as we saw with those net nets and stuff, they can double on barely any interest from people. Sure. Just those cyclical things like Friedman Industries or something. We'll put it in the nifty 50 bu- uh, bucket, right? You got Chipotle, now we got FICO. And you got a ton of emails coming your way. <laughs> well, thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I on the Focus Compounding Podcast. Hey, be sure to go to focuscompounding.com slash app to get access to our full podcast backlog, a 2,000 word write-up from Jeff daily, and then frequent videos by him and I. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And then if you, of course, want to sign up for uh, the investment write-ups, go to focuscompounding.com. Thank you so much to everybody for the support. Follow me on Twitter at Focus Compound, and we will see you in the next podcast.